Alright guys, welcome back. Hope everyone had a really enjoyable weekend. Weather wasn't great here in the Northeast. Um, let's go right to it. So, incredibly impressive sweep by Phoenix. I don't want to underrate this. This was, you know, two teams going in. I think everyone thought this was going to be a long series. And everyone was kind of putting the sun under the radar, um, even though they had a tremendous regular season. You know, everyone was still picking the L.A. teams, and I'm one of them, to to win this thing, right? Um so there's a few things that people need it to know. So obviously, look, give credit or credit to uh, you know James Jones. I, I always say this about sometimes GMs, former especially former player GMs. A lot of times they like to draft guys who are like them. They have a soft spot for them if they see themselves in a player um, coming out. Maybe it's a better version of them, what have you. A lot of examples of this. I remember when uh, one of the John Paxson's first moves as GM of Chicago, he goes ahead and dra- drafts Kirk Heinrich. Now, you know, Heinrich was a far better defender than, than Paxson ever was. But, again, like, a little on the nose. Okay? Uh, Vladi Divac, uh, you know, drafts a forward center that goes after Bagley. Um, and Danny Ainge... You know, he was interested in Yuri Welsh. Um, obviously, the moves he made wasn't really so pro that, but you see this with some time to time with former player GMs. James Jones is no different. One of the one of the bigger moves he he had done since since being a GM, which was only a few years, was getting Cam Johnson early in the draft. Now, Cam Johnson, Cameron Johnson. Um wasn't supposed to be a lotto pick. It was like 30. So that was a big move there, and he got him because he saw he had 3 and D potential. Now, there's a there's a big debate here who gets credit for the current Phoenix team. Uh, you know, Ryan McDonough, I, I've heard, is all over social, touting the job that he had done and the players that he brought in. I'm going to counter that a little bit, right? This is like the difference between... Regular GM and great GM, right? So, like, I'm sorry, but he didn't, he didn't like finalize the job. Now, McDonough, in my opinion, um, he gets the number one pick, uh, and he should have taken Luca. We all know this, but Aiden wasn't a bad pick. But I'm not going to give him credit for 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 it. Like, it's not like that was like, oh, that's the right move getting Aiden. Like, first of all, it's a no brainer. It's the number one pick. But second of all, like he even messed that up. Like I'm sorry, if you have Luca, you have the guy's coach on your staff. You should know to take Luca in that spot. And at the time, you know they had Booker. You you know you needed a a bigger playmaker with Booker, which is why you're interested in bigger playmakers going into that draft. So I'm not going to give McDonough any credit there. I am going to give McDonough on on a great draft day trade that he did, which was. When Phoenix had the 16, I think it was 16. They were looking at Fields for 16. I remember they wanted Franklin Lakina. The Knicks were still high on him at that time. This tells you how how much a couple of years makes in terms of difference. And he traded, uh, you know, he selected it for 16, Zaire Smith, and, and moved up in the draft to get Mikel Bridges, which was a phenomenal trade. 
I feel like he did that because he knew he needed to show enough progress in that year uh, to make some positive moves. And that was one of the positive moves he made, and Bridges was a huge part of this team. But there's a lot of other boneheaded moves that McDonough did um, where, like, he put the, he put the Suns in a very weird situation. There was, there was the point guard fiasco, I call it, where basically you had, you know, Eric Bledsoe, who still had decent value around the league, um, and then you had Isaiah Thomas, and then you go ahead and do a trade and um, and then you also sorry you also signed Brandon Knight like there was no way that was going to work with three point cards like that and then you and then because of that you you have to you're not dealing them at high value so then when you're moving you sign Thomas first of all and then you move him for like crappier value with the Celtics and it becomes a, a steal by the Celtics and then you move Bledsoe also at the time for not great value in the uh, Michael Carter-Williams crazy deal. Oh, sorry, you deal Bledsoe, then you get Braden the Knight in that deal. Like, the whole move of that didn't make sense. And you still have Goran Dragic, and then you move him to Miami and don't get much value there. So a lot of, like, just selling low on guys, putting players in position to not be successful, just bad GMing there with that whole point guard fiasco, Dragic. I think it was Dragic, Bledsoe. They have Dragic, Bledsoe, and Thomas all on the same team. Knowing Drogic was clearly the best guy out of those three, you know, and, and did not put anybody in position to succeed with that roster. And then just flipped, um, you know, just creating havoc, basically. Then flipping three and coming back with Brandon Knight, the worst point guard out of the four. Uh, even if you include Michael Carter-Williams, to be honest with you, who was involved in the deal. So I'm not going to give McDonough any credit to the Suns team. I think it was like very, some, you know, there's a fine line sometimes in GMing, and there's unique moves that you do that really put it over the top. So one of them was um, the Jay Crowder signing was, and we said at the time, it was one of the most under the radar signings. People totally underrate two way players, and I know it's a it's a tired term. When I say two way, I mean guys that are going to really go after it defensively. You know you can throw them on the opposing team's best player. And they have a shot. First of all, they have a, they have some offensive game. They can shoot or play make a little bit. And they can be the, your, your third or fourth option even in an offense. So Drake Crowder was huge for the Suns. And, you know, it's combined with a couple of adjustments that Phoenix, that the coaching staff made, which are also worthy of credit. Obviously moving Crowder to a small ball four was beneficial bringing Sarge off the bench. Now, that made their first rounder that they got. Again, not every move needs to be stellar. The first rounder they got, Jalen uh, Smith, uh, the backup center, has been rendered useless. He's, he's not playing because you got Kaminsky, who needs the space, and you got Crowder who's playing small before, and that means Sarge is your backup five, basically. So you move the, the rookie out of the rotation, but fine. You didn't even need that. The biggest move they did, obviously, as we all know, is the Chris Paul move. Uh, we keep saying this, but he is so underrated historically. Again, before he goes to a team, a lot of times the direct, he goes to the team, completely changes their, their their team around. A la Jason Kidd. He's really reminiscent of Jason Kidd in his prime. The difference is Kidd got credit because Kidd did it in the Eastern Conference, but it was more noticeable. So he's taking the Nets to the finals for a few years and, and really the premier player on that team. 
and then and then wins the title with Dallas. Chris Paul, um, he might be moving up on Kid historically. I, I, I'm surprised to say it, but I think it's the case. And the, just the, the the turnaround he's done with these teams is incredible. So to note that and to and to still take his contract on in your Phoenix, you're not going to still attract major guys. Was the right move. The team was ready, especially after that bubble uh, performance for the playoffs. And there's little moves that that James Jones did to create room for uh, Mikel Bridges and and some of these signees to do well. So the T.J. Warren move again. You gotta laud uh, an addition via subtraction. So Warren, I'm not. An, I, I like Warren, but he he didn't fit in this team. He needs to score his own bucket. Uh, he's not really that great of an off-the-ball guy, in my opinion. He kind of needs to be more of the center of the offense a little bit. He could play a little off the ball, but I don't think you're not getting the full course of him. And this is another thing in the NBA. Like, when you're eva- when you're getting a player, make sure you're getting, like, the full repertoire of what that player brings. It's kind of like in baseball. If you signed a pitcher, like when, when the – this is a great example. When the Cavs got Kevin Love for Andre Wiggins – Andrew Wiggins, but they're only—they're not getting. You know, Kevin Love is not going to be able to post on that on that team so much because you got LeBron will clog the middle, and he's not going to be as much of a rebounding force as a result. So you're getting the spacing side of, of Kevin Love. It's like signing a pitcher who's got five pitches, but he's only allowed to use two or maybe three of them. Now that pitcher is still good, but he's not as good as he is if he, unless he has the five pitches. So if you're if you're picking up a guy, and you're not gonna let him be his true self, he can only be a shell of it to an extent, or only use certain capabilities due to the players you have in your roster. He won't be as impactful. And you see this sometimes it doesn't make that much. It, it doesn't matter so much like for role players. So like Dario Saric, um, as an example, you know he's a guy that can post. He can do a little thing. But again, like I'm fine with like you know, getting rid of one of his pitches because I just need him to, to play a specific role. But for starters, for guys who's going to pay a decent amount of money to and you're evaluating differently, you got to take that at least into account. It's okay to do it for the Chris Boshes of the world, for the love, which is the best example. But you just got to take it into account when you're evaluating that player on both sides. And then if you're picking up that player as a new GM, know that, hey, he's got these two pitches that the other team weren't using. Maybe he can use it for your roster. Kevin loves that guy now a little bit. Um, but there's other talents that could be that guy. So TJ Warren to me it was kind of that guy a little bit, an awkward situation. Good unload by uh, by Phoenix and getting that pick was also was also good as a result. Um, so I'm going to give the credit to Jones because he did. If he if he's not GM and McDonough does not do the Chris Paul deal and does not sign Jay Crowder. This is a completely different team. Do they make? I don't think they make the playoffs. I mean, like maybe they're in the play-in, and people are like, "Oh, they're young and exciting." And is that better for them long term? I don't know. Probably not. But you got Chris Paul in a massive discount when you did the trade for him because of his contract. McDonough's not doing that deal. I'm not giving these these GMs that come in. Like and again, Brian Colangelo did the same shit with the Raptors when they won the title. Okay. Well, look at that. Look at that roster. You know, who got Kyle Lowry? I did. Okay, yeah, no, it was a solid move. Okay? Not everything you did was bad. The big things you did were pretty bad. 
Okay, well, I got Kyle Lowry, guys. He was a major part of that team. There is no way in hell. Does Clanville have the cojones, the wherewithal, everything like that, to go for the Kawhi Leonard deal? I don't, I don't know if he does. Does he do the Valachunas for Gasol deal, which is an underrated deal? And again, in hindsight, it looks great for Memphis because Valachunas is still playing at a high level. But the Raptors got the title. Masai is the one that made the massive risk. Does he do... Um, does he reverse the Rudy Gay deal? Probably not. Because he's stubborn AF, and he's going to double down on some of his mistakes. And for, for, for those of you not, you know, following at home, nor should you, it's the freaking Raptors. What they did basically was Masai just basically undid the, the Rudy Gay deal. So if you remember, Brian Colangelo trades, um, I believe it was, Ed Davis and Jose Calderon. Uh, for the disgusting contract that was Rudy Gay, they made they they try to you know I think Colangelo realized that this is the only way we're going to get a star player, blah 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 blah. Even though he's not a star player because he wasn't that good. And then Masai comes in, and he's like, and he he undoes the deal. He deals Gay to Sacramento for a package around like Gravis Vasquez and Patrick Patterson. Um, but. It opens up Toronto, makes them a deeper team. And then, you know, they make a playoff run as a result. All right? And then they leave room for Terrence Ross to get minutes and develop him a little bit. But it puts the team in far better position. So but what I'd say is, like, don't let these GMs fool you that come back after the fact if a team was really good. Right? There's a reason why they got fired. Okay? There's a reason why. And that's the lesson here. It's subtle. It's subtle moves you need to do, but they're clear. Like, you know, if you again, you get the guy, you get the underrated free agent talent. You do the right little veteran trade. Boom, you transform a team. There's no question. You know, and, and I, I just don't appreciate the GMs coming in after the fact that they're like, "Well, hey, look at the team I built." You know, it's pretty impressive. And sometimes you got to give them, you got to give them a chance, you got to give them room. So a good example of giving GM room to, like, let's see what this painting looks like at the end, is Atlanta with Travis Schlenk. So Travis, um, it gets burned a little bit for the Luca Young deal. You know, I get it. Like, it's still okay for both teams. It's definitely better for Dallas. There's no, I mean, I'm sorry, Kool-Aid, like everyone would agree, Luca is better than Trey Young. So I'm not going to give him that much credit there, but. He adapted that deal. And the other draftees he did were okay. I mean, Cam Reddish and, and Hunter were good. I think Travis is going to show um, his value this offseason. This is they're kind of like the Phoenix of the East a little bit. Um, but they need to make uh, – if I'm Atlanta, I, I, this is the time to make an aggressive move. Even I know you got Hunter you know, coming off of surgery potentially, but he's going to have value. Cam Reddish is going to have value. And Hunter and Reddish don't really fit on this team. If you're going to keep – Collins long term, um, and you just drafted Akungo, so you got to play him a little bit. I, I don't know if I trade him yet. I mean, you just drafted him for God's sakes. But Capella, we're like Capella Collins uh, could work. Obviously, Herders in the Gallinari. You're, you're building yourself a nice little group. You need a, you need a two way wing for Hunter and Reddish. You need to consolidate and get a two way wing. That's the best move. You want a Karis Levert type. Now, I don't know if Indiana's going to move him, but that's the kind of player you want for Hunter and Reddish. You could probably do a little better than that. 
obviously you have to make decisions around Collins. And you got to assess better. Like, you only have a, a it's only one basketball, so the usage isn't great, right? Like, I would consider signing trades with John Collins, maybe. I, I'm not, it's not a slam dunk that they should keep him for the money that he's going to request. And I like Collins, but if you're going to have Trey Young bogey long term, um, and again, depending on what, you know, Hunter's role with the team, um, it's hard for everyone to get proper usage, okay? Which is the difficulty in that deal. So they they really need to think about that. Make sure everyone's got, you know, sort of the same spot, solid usage there. And DeAndre Hunter is a small ball four. It wouldn't be the worst. I'll say this. It would not be the worst idea for the Hawks to consider that max sign and trade using Collins. But again, you know, Atlanta, good job. Travis built the talent. Now the, now the fight, this is a huge offseason for Atlanta. They cannot stay put. They cannot stay put. Um, they, they definitely need to make certain moves. They have to make a decision on Collins or Hunter, who's their four moving forward. And, and who's and if the other one you move for, you consolidate along with Reddish maybe, and again you get wing help. So those are the kind of ideas that these GMs need to think about. And that's the difference between Ryan McDonough and James Jones. James Jones f- figures out the it's not about the qu- qu- quantity; it's the quality. These subtle. What's the uh, who's underrated right now? He got the two most underrated players in the league. He got Paul Viatrade, most underrated star in the league. Should have finished better with MVP. He got Drake Crowder in. in signing, okay? That's what it's about. It's like, the what are, you're just going to make like two or three underrated moves, you can flip the franchise. That's to become a GM. And if you're usually telling people how great you are as a GM, you probably weren't that good of a GM to begin with. Have a great week, everybody. We will speak relatively soon.